having a beer after a hard day's work once meant putting up with a six o'clock swill. The swill is not only unpleasant, it's also dangerous. Those who like beer, and surprisingly it's still legal to like it. South Australia joins all other states in abandoning the six o'clock swill. Welcome to the Six O'Clock Swill, the antidote to stupid, a weekly roundup of global political and cultural nonsense from Nick Cater and Tim Blair on the Central Coast. And I should have you a warning at the start of this show, this show contains irony, not suitable for listeners of a mirthless <laughs> disposition. Uh, Tim, welcome again to the Swill. We're on our own. I think uh, the budget ran out. We no fees left. We no money left to pay fees for. <laughs> You know, major stars like like uh, like it, Fred it's, Paul. It's pretty bad when uh, when the money runs out and we don't pay anybody when we never paid them anyway. No, like, so we're we're sub zero on that. It's the crash of twenty nine <laughs> all over again in pod form. Well, this is just the two of us, and there'll be no audience, of course, because we got no stars like Rita Panna here or anything to draw them in. I thought I might broach the subject of pronouns. We've never shared our pronouns. But yours, I think, is His Excellency, isn't it? Something like yes, that. Yes, yes. Do you know that Qantas allows you the option of using an honorific so that, you know, you don't have to prove that you're a professor or anything, but you can select it from the drop-down option on your booking form. Really? If you book online. So I think I'll be professor from now on. Professor. You get paged at the airport, and it's Professor Tim Blair. Professor Tim Blair. He's not that. He must be a different one. He must be the brainy Tim Blair. Yeah. And they'll all respect me again. Yeah. Terrific. You can be a doctor, professor, all these titles. I might be the gracious Duchess. What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Imagine getting paged at the airport. I think that was your street name back in the UK, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Look, we shouldn't. We shouldn't linger, Tim. It's been a big week for big hard news. Starting, of course, in the United States where the news came through, the grave news came through that President Joe Biden has joined the 92 million Americans who've tested positive to COVID-19. And we're all hoping, of course, that he joins the 91 million Americans that have survived the experience. He's got very mild symptoms, apparently. But, of course, he was... um, a big fan of the vaccine, wasn't he? We might have listened to what he said last year about He's it. He's had all of them. Has he? What are we up to? Are we up to six or so for the, those who were diligent about such things? Yeah, I think probably by now about half his body weight is Pfizer, isn't it? He wouldn't... He'd be just so full <laughs> to the gills with sponsored it. by them. Sponsored by them. He's full of Pfizer and his kid's just full of meth. Is that like... <laughs> they're uh, addictive personalities in the Biden clan, aren't they? They're, they've got issues. Yeah, well, this is what he said about round about a year ago. We're not in a position where we think that any virus, including the Delta virus, which is much more transmissible and more deadly in terms of non-unvaccinated people, the the various shots that people are getting now cover that. You're okay. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Yeah, well, that that was then. This is now. Statement from Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. This morning, President Biden tested positive for COVID-19, which made me think perhaps he was unvaccinated. But no, he is fully vaccinated, the statement concludes, and twice boosted. So you're right, Tim, he's got all four. And experiencing very mild symptoms. He's begun taking Paxlovid. I don't know what that is. 
but it's consistent with CDT guidelines, apparently. Uh, is this a big loss of face for him, or will he just pretend he never said in the first place that the vaccines stop you getting it? He also said it was a, um, a pandemic of the unvaccinated. For unvaccinated, we are looking at a winter of severe illness and death for unvaccinated. For themselves, their families, and the hospitals, they'll soon overwhelm. But there's good news. If you're vaccinated, you have your booster shot, you're protected from severe illness and death. Nothing he says lasts. He's always wrong. I'm just looking up a comparison of the way the media treated um, the media treated President Trump's diagnosis. This is the New York Times when Trump was uh, given his COVID verdict in 2020. <clears throat> As President Trump remained hospitalised with COVID-19 on Sunday, his campaign officials continued to defend his flouting of public health guidelines and refused to acknowledge that it could have led to his infection and those of other Republicans. <laughs> now we go to an opinion piece this week in the New York Times. President Biden has tested positive for the coronavirus. So what? If it all goes well, this will be a non-story, and that's the story. <laughs> Just a slight difference there in, in attitude, I would have thought, because Biden famously gets around. He wears masks outdoors for some reason, then takes them off when he goes inside. He flips <laughs> the whole Kerry Chant instruction manual, doesn't he? So, mm, mm. And he's always hugging people, you know, especially if they're girls, and falling off his bike in packs of people. <laughs> he uh, he he seems to be a, a real candidate for what the media did to um, Trump, which was they devised flowcharts of of all the people he interacted with in the days before he was um, diagnosed. They went to town on it, and uh, now it's like literally, literally saying, "So what?" Just mm. uh, just a bit of an illustration there of what some of you, some people perceive as a certain bias in the U.S. media. Well, he is approaching. I don't know about the U.S. He's approaching the average age of death from covid in this country which is in australia that's 83 which just so happens to be the uh, average life expectancy so covid cuts you off in not in the prime of your life cuts you off it doesn't cut you off or an unnatural part of your lifespan 83 you might you might lose a decent weekend perhaps i mean some people are going to lose more than others yeah well, it's always sad when someone dies, but when you've got people announcing as, you know, an epic tragedy that's, you know, people are dying as they approach 100 years of age, well, yeah, sad, but they nearly got to 100, man. I'm not going to get anywhere close. Yeah, but I tell you what, you know, if you were 99 point... What was Don Bradman's average? I mean, if you... I mean, the Don would have been pretty like pretty sick, wouldn't he, when his last innings he got out... Was it for a duck? Well, you know, you're the cricket man, and he, and he just missed it was, out. Yeah, on it was his last innings, but, it, but a little-known fact for the cricket nerds, it wasn't meant to be his last innings. Australia only batted once in that test. Mm. If uh, we hadn't beaten the English by an innings, he would have had a chance to bat again and, uh, ah. and finish with that magical three-figure average. Mm. There is something nice there about you have it. the 100th birthday. Um it's nice to go to a hundredth birthday. It's really 
a great great occasion. But but on the whole, you're right. I mean, you went to one in the UK, didn't you? Wasn't that? No, it was up in Queensland. Recently, up in up in uh, Scarborough. Oh, sorry, oh, similar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, it was my cousin Pearl and her. her what do you get someone who's a hundred, Nick? What sort of what what sort of gift? What sort of gift do you buy someone who's a hundred besides ripe bananas? Well. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's so unimaginative, but it was just flowers in my case. Large bunch, you know, it was a very, very big bunch. Mm. But, you know, when you're, when you're 100, you don't really want much more, you know. <laughs> and uh, her mother, of course, um, also, was the only other 100th birthday I went to with Pearl's uh, mother, Millie, and, and I said to her on her 100th birthday, what's the secret to long life, Millie? She said, oh, just keep breathing. <laughs> yeah, keep it simple. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but I mean, the point about this, um, the age of death, 83, I mean, yeah, there have been a, a few young people that have died. We're not usually told much about what comorbidities they might sadly have had, but uh, there aren't many of them. Mm-hmm. And, of course, if you're, you're under 30 or under 25, it's statistically, the chances of you dying of COVID are, are really statistically insignificant, which may be puzzle about this... Um, Facebook ad uh, put up by the New South Wales government. A face mask is part of my outfit, something that keeps you warm this winter whilst also hiding my moustache. Hi, I'm Vince, and the face mask is more than just something that protects me during the pandemic. It's always with me, allowing me to feel safer whenever and wherever I am. As we adjust to living with COVID, what do you do to stay safe? He's a young man. Um, he can't see it, of course, from the audio recording. Uh, and, and unfortunately, he's wearing this mask all the way through, so it's hard to make out exactly what he's saying in the ad. But I thought at the end he said, what, what do you do to save face? But I think what he actually said is, what do you do to stay safe? But he's got this mask on. And he thinks it, it's his comfort, he says. I suspect that's it for a lot of people. Uh, it is a it's comfort. A, it's a lot about it? the feels, isn't he? He said it makes him feel safe. Not that it makes him safe. No, we're in security blanket territory, aren't we? It's interesting how um, when I travel through Victoria, the compliance and the um, with mask regulations and all the other directives is so much more powerful than I notice, especially on the central coast. They're much more aggressive about it. I mean, I've got friends who will ask their friends about their vaccine status when they arrive for dinner parties. <laughs> what if they're, if they're vaccinated, you don't let them in? These are normal people <laughs> who do that. Yeah, they're, they're lovely people, but it's just that Melbourne is a lot more, you know, I, I'm generalising, but Melbourne seems a lot more um, COVID conscious and, uh, and so on. I mean, this might be one of the reasons you know, we wonder outside of Victoria why Dan Andrews is so popular. But in... Melbourne especially, they, they loved all that stuff. It's a, it's a strange mindset for that city to have. They're, they're terrible things, totally inhumanising. I had a strange experience the other week. I was on a plane coming back from Brisbane and I was just walking down the back of the plane to use the um, conveniences. And I, I saw this guy sitting in the aisle. I thought, he looks a bit like my mate Michael Thompson. And I thought, nah, can't... Uh, I could. You only see, you know, from his eyes up, and yeah. I know Michael for years, you know. But I thought I wasn't sure enough to go and say hi. Is that you, Michael? Because I just want to make a total idiot myself on the plane, so I didn't. But I, he rang me the other day to see if I wanted to be, and I said, "Oh, Michael, were you flying back from Brisbane last week?" He said, "Yes." 
He said, were no. you? I said, yes. He said, yeah, I thought I saw a bloke looking like you. I said, yeah, I thought I saw somebody looking like you. <laughs> but we'd not, you know, we'd missed that chance to sort of pat him on the back and They're say hi. socially a- alienating, aren't they, masks? Horrible. I just don't like the whole compulsive aspect. Of it. I, don't, I don't think... I mean, New South Wales is trying to soften us up a little bit at the moment. They've got their Facebook ads. They've got Kerry Chant, of all people, dancing to a lame rap tune on TikTok, mm. which is a crime against humankind. It's as though they're warming us up for uh, another wave of uh, regulations. They are. I, I... But what about, though, Joe Biden and uh, his secretary? We played the thing before, I think, of... Mm. Uh, his uh, his press girl saying that it, it, you know it doesn't matter, you know all that tracing and nonsense and QR codes that we all went through all that COVID theatre, yes. and now it's just no, it's not no big deal, you know don't need to don't need to uh, pursue that. It's all cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, we have we've had as many cases as uh, as Ireland and Italy, I think, or, or Spain. Like we're up there. You know, with the average European country right now. Unfortunately, we managed to keep it out until we got the gentler variant along, so not so many people have died. But in the end, you know, I'm not sure quite what it was all about, really, except that it put a lot of places out of business, and still is. So here's news from, from Victoria. My Victorian spy reports that in Melbourne, in Melbourne CBD, a lot of cafes and coffee shops are going bust. Yes. The reason being that the um, the Victorian Public Service has said uh, something to the effect of staff, well, you, we'd like you to come in the office for perhaps three days a week, but, you know, there was obviously reasons why you'd have to work from home maybe two days a week. So the Victorian Public Service has taken this quite literally and um, unanimously they, they've chosen to make Mondays and Fridays the days when they don't work. <laughs> Essentially, the Melbourne CBD is now is a don't work in the office. Don't work yeah. in the office. Oh, well, of course they're working at home. I mean, you're not suggest- we wouldn't oh, suggest. Naturally, yeah. Putting in a solid eight hours at least. Yeah, they're public servants. They're committed. We wouldn't suggest they were shampooing the cat or um, mixing up a pro- protein smoothie or taking a stroll or you know nothing like that. Watching a movie, Netflixing. But, but the, the, the problem is now it's a three-day-a-week CBD and these coffee shops can't survive on that, so they're all going out of business. <laughs> it's not great, is it? Um, and now you've got the union movement insisting that they be able to write this into union awards. It's part of your union award that you can work from home for your own safety, <laughs> even when COVID's not there. At the same money. Well, I'm, I'm fine with a three-day-a-week if that's all they get paid for, but they're not going to cop that, are they? Absolutely not. So Queensland teachers this week will get 7% pay rise this year. What? Queensland Treasury says inflation will be 5.25%, but they're going to give the teachers 7%. Next year, Queensland Treasury predicts 3.5% inflation. They're going to give them another 7%. (laughs) So the following year, when inflation dips down to 2.5%, they're only going to give them 6%. So (laughs) you can only do that if you're the government, can't you? I'd love to see an improvement, a 7% improvement in um, in Queensland's spelling and punctuation. That would be a hell of a step up. They're not, they're not great on the, on the grammar. You're trying to link wage rises with productivity. That's so old-fashioned. <laughs> it should be. It should be a straight line. 
<laughs> God, education. A uh, friend who's got a kid in a private school sent me one of the term fees just, you know, to surprise and alarm me. This is for a teenager. Nearly 10 grand a term. And there's four terms. 10 grand. 10 grand. What, what is the point of spending that much on a teenager? They're idiots. <laughs> well, like, that's right. No, like, if, if, you, if you're at a school where they charge you 10 grand per term, you mm. want to have Orwell himself teaching political science. You want, I don't know who in the art department, Rembrandt running that, running a paint shop. You want, like, the best of the best. But you're just getting, you know, teachers. <laughs> you, know, you are. That's an insane waste of money. Pull your kids out of homeschool, that's the trick. We're all going to be stuck at home again anyway. May as well learn how to teach them. Yeah. Now, we, we've got to talk about the, 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 the harm to the planet that's done by your barbecue there, Jim. But first, be first let's, let's go back to COVID before we leave the subject. So the, I noticed in the press there's a sort of fear campaign building Apparently, it's a tsunami of COVID-19 about to crash on our shores. The Courier Mail says that their hospitals are buckling. And uh, in uh, SA, the situation is said to be dire. SA hospitals are stretched to the limit. And the world's most expensive hospital, that's Royal Adelaide, has run out of beds, apparently. They quote this anonymous doctor saying that things were so bad, I seriously think that somebody could die today, he says. I think we should find this doctor and break the news to him that um, patients, even before COVID, <laughs> patients were dying at a rate of 250 a day on average in Australian hospitals. Uh, they tend to attract sick people. It, it is, in fact, the most, the most likely place. 51% of people die in hospital anyway. So I think there's a good chance that he's going to be right. I seriously think somebody could die today in my hospital. Uh, there's al- there's, there should always be that chance, one assumes. Yeah, I mean, you it's know. a hospital that they, they're not full of you know people in robust health by definition. No, no, they're, they're not. I've noticed. That's one thing I've noticed about hospitals. There's be a very large number of sick people there, uh, and some with serious illnesses. Look, we're not, are we? We're not at all denigrating the medical skills of the doctors there, but it's just a fact of life. But the whole thing about COVID, we can no longer accept that, could we? And but anyway, I think this whole thing about the hospitals are stretched. You know how they're having to postpone birthing. You know cesarean births. They're having to leave people on ramps in ambulances. Because I think to blame COVID nineteen is just an excuse. Really, it seems to me because you've only got when you actually look at the numbers, it's fewer than ten yeah. percent of the beds are occupied by COVID patients. I think the rest, the other ninety percent of the problem is hospital mismanagement I'm, I'm sure you know you know what it's like tim you order something on amazon and it's in your house mm. in five minutes but if yes. you know that if victorian government or the victorian hospital sister service was running that it would be there in about two and a half years <laughs> and it'll be it'll be wrong that's <laughs> <laughs> right Just speaking of doctors and COVID, this is my favourite thing during the week. This is a an American doctor on Twitter who um, wrote on Twitter that he'd got COVID and someone asked him how he thought he contracted it. 
His most likely explanation of how he got COVID was that he was in a gas station bathroom while charging my Tesla. Well, lady, <laughs> I, I had to adjust my mask and likely forgot to hold my breath as I usually do. <laughs> so he's only adjusting it. He's not ripping it off holeless bolus and running into a crowd or, you know, going the full Biden. He's just, he's, he's evidently wears the mask all the time, presumably when driving alone in his Tesla. And he's gone to this gas station bathroom his mask is a bit slippy or something. He's adjusted it minutely, hasn't held his breath for that nanosecond, and that's when the bug struck. But you know it wouldn't be a nanosecond. I mean, if he's charging a Tesla, he's probably in there for 45 <laughs> minutes minimum. Yeah, good point. He was in the bathroom for 14 hours. <laughs> Other people coming and going, <laughs> coughing on him. Yeah, I missed that subtle point, Nick, but you're right. For you and I, it's just sort of, it's just about 90 seconds of breathing in petrol fumes. And what a lovely smell that is, by the way. It's always <laughs> been a lovely smell. Not, not to encourage that behaviour, but yeah, it's, uh, it's great. Um, mm. It's strange that a doctor would know so little about the likely means of transmission of the disease, but I guess some doctors aren't very bright as well. Eh, mm. it takes all kinds. Mate, speaking of not very bright, speaking mm. of not very bright, just going to just... Break things up briefly here. Here's a, a brief vocabulary challenge. I'm going to hit you with three words. You're going to tell me their meanings or what they are. Are you ready, Nick? I'm ready. Zesty. Zesty. Oh, that's um, yeah. a lemon. You, a, lesty, a lemon is like if you get a, 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 a wine with citrus flavours in it, a Sauvignon yeah. or something, it's described as zesty on the label. Is that right? Yes, but more generally, I guess it would apply to like just enthusiastic behaviour. Like if someone who's got a zesty aspect to their personality would be a lively person. So, yeah. Okay, word two, cacao. Cacao, is that something, is that something, does that come from the word cocoa? Is that heading the right direction? You're in the right family. Yeah, it's, uh, it's actually the unrefined form of cocoa. Like you get right. cacao from cacao. a plant. It's also an app, isn't it? Everything's an app. It's an app you can get where you watch sport. <laughs> if you've got a stammer, it's called Kukao. Otherwise, for the rest of the people, it's just KO. <laughs> I'll give you 50% on that one. Third one, bespoke. Bespoke. Well, yeah. I know it's commonly used as sort of luxury or specialist. Like you have a bespoke tailor, wouldn't you? Yes, that's exactly right. It's for tailors who, like, uh, well, you've basically defined it very well because the tailor's dress according to your specifications, dress you to your specs. So if you go to a tailor, it's someone who will design stuff that is bespoke, i.e. for you. But you mm. can get bespoke cars, you can get bespoke, I guess, anything really. Bespoke podcast. This would be a bestoke, bespoke podcast, wouldn't it? That's right. Sort of. It's for an, uh, a very choosy elite audience. Mm. So that's, that's the bespoke thing. Do you dress to the left or the right, Tim, by the way? <laughs> Talking to oh, you're going back to your tailor days now. <laughs> I'm a centrist. Interestingly, all of those words, which you can you either know or can quickly deduce, you know, just by their sound or, or the context, all of those words are utterly unrecognised by someone who's written thirty books. Someone named Peter Fitzsimons. <laughs> he does not know those words. He, he he writes about it like, oh, I've never heard that word before, and everyone's like, 
how have you been on this planet for 60 years, Peter? And he's like, oh, I've just never heard it. How? How do you not hear Zesty? It's everywhere. And Bespoke, you know, maybe he just doesn't buy his gear at fashionable joints, which he should be doing on the money he's on, surely. Come on, man. Mm. Letting mm. down the team, wearing your tracksuit dacks everywhere. Fancy up yourself, Peter. Funny enough, I had lunch with his neighbour this week, um, but I better not tell the stories. That'd be unfair. <laughs> they weren't told for public <laughs> consumption, but they are very funny. <laughs> we'll keep that for the subscriber-only black label edition of the podcast. <laughs> We're going to move on to some serious moral points about food. Oh, absolutely. I'm reading The New Puritans by Noah Rothman, and it's great. There's so many examples of new woke nonsense, which he compares to the Puritans of old. It's one thing, it's the feature of wokeism, isn't it? It's this sort of denial of human pleasure, particularly when it comes to food. Here's an example. This is George Monbiot, the famous British Puritan environmental zealot who writes for The Guardian, uh, and he's always talking on Irish TV. And what that means, above all else, is getting out of livestock farming, is really shutting down animal farming altogether because that has massively disproportionate impacts on the living planet. And we need to switch towards other sources of food, plant-based diets, which are far more efficient, far lower environmental impacts, but also switch out of farming altogether to produce protein-rich foods, which we can do through precision fermentation, brewing George, microbes. I can hear farmers all over this small country of ours shocked and perhaps screaming at their televisions because they're saying, are you saying all animal farming, in, in, in your opinion, really needs to stop? Yes, it does. It really does. Um, it's a bit like leaving fossil fuels in the ground. Unless we do that, we've really got very little chance indeed of preventing this domino effect of system collapse right across Earth okay. systems, which basically makes the planet uninhabitable. So eating meat and milk and eggs is an indulgence we cannot afford. So that's it. There's no, no meat, no meat. And farms are the enemy now. Farms. Agriculture is the enemy. How are you going to grow your vegetables? But if we do as George wishes and we convert to large-scale plant and bug eating... Won't there be similarly large-scale farms produce those? Won't we be using the same amount of land and so on, you know, comparative? You know, there's a lot of people around. Yeah. You need a lot of land to grow a lot of food, no matter what it is. Has he thought this through? And the claim is that bugs take up less land or they're less intrusive on the land. They don't walk on the land, I suppose. They just fly over it. But, um, yeah, I don't know if I want the bugs myself, but they're supposed to be. But it's almost as if they don't... Like, the taste of the food is not important to them. I mean, what gives them the thrill is yeah. the warm inner glow isn't it that's where george monbiot comes from have you ever heard anyone say mm, that's good bug monbiot's been on this track for a long time faced with a choice between the survival of the planet and a new set of matching tableware he wrote most people would choose the tableware and that's fair enough isn't it you would i would mm -hmm. in 2002 he said so that's 20 years ago Within as little as 10 years, the world will be faced with a choice. Arable farming either continues to feed the world's animals or it continues to feed the world's people. It cannot be both. Well, he was wrong then, wasn't he? He's not the only one. If you come across this chap called Jonathan Saffron 4, Jim, he writes these really sugary 
books of words of wisdom. You wrote a book called We Are the Weather. Okay. We are the weather. Never heard of the bloke, but yeah. Mm, they're quite popular books, which is probably why you haven't come across them. <laughs> he wrote, We cannot go about our lives as if they were only ours. I ate meat a number of times. Worse, it brought me comfort. <laughs> How could I argue for radical change? How could I raise my children as vegetarians while eating meat for comfort? <laughs> Confronting my hypocrisy has reminded me how difficult it is even to try to live my values. <laughs> He's pretty screwed up, isn't he? And then, then this guy, journalist Nathaniel Johnston, wrote, Rational morality tugs at us with the slenderest of threads while meat pulls us with the thick twined cords of culture, tradition, pleasure, the flow of the crowd and physical yearning, and it pulls at us three times a day. <laughs> you like your steaks, but I, you ever felt them pulling at you like that three times a day? He's, he's rather overthinking it, isn't he? Is there nothing else in this person's life than to consider the gravitational effects that apparently are held by a decent <laughs> Tebow? <laughs> imagine, imagine you're at a restaurant with a few people and everyone's ordering from the wait staff, as they're now called, and one pe- one of the people there launches into a, a speech like that. <laughs> You'd be slowly backing away, you know. Don't make eye contact. Just, just, just get get the hell away from this lunatic. That's it. We received this guy from. Is he a, a Brit or a US or do we have this his guy, background? I think he's a guy. Yeah. <laughs> you won't be surprised. You know, he's a Guardian writer. Oh Jesus Christ, those people. Well, George Bombio actually he has in his entire life said one thing that made sense. Exactly one thing. Really? And that was after the Japanese tsunami and subsequent damage to the nuclear plant Mm. in Fukushima. And all of uh, George's lefty readers were hungrily waiting for his uh, verdict on this and, you know, smash the nuclear people and destroy nuclear plants worldwide because they present such a danger. But remarkably, he went the opposite direction. He pointed out very logically, he said that Fukushima had turned him into a fan of nuclear energy because he'd always feared uh, that a damaged nuclear reactor could uh, destroy the planet and so on. Mm -hmm. But as he pointed out, uh, Fukushima was the ultimate stress test of a nuclear plant and it killed nobody. People survived. And the plant, even though it was old, poorly maintained, hit by a gigantic wave, Mm. it, uh, it held up. It was fine. You know, you had to douse it with a bit of water, good to go. That's remarkably calm-headed and lucid analysis from him, isn't it? He must have been drunk. So he might be pleased to know that Kishida, that's the new Japanese prime, prime minister who was elected, good centre-right chap, uh, elected mm-hmm. with a large majority, is talking about looking at building new nuclear plants. So that's great good. for Japan, great for the world. Well, they've got a new one. Um, they're talking about a... Well, they've been talking about this for a while in the UK, six or seven of them, mm. uh, some mm. sort of mini plants. And I think they were talking about commissioning a, a one in addition to that this week. So everyone's going nuclear. It's almost as though Australia's missing out, Nick, mm. in this in an era when we're looking for sources of clean energy. It might be that nuclear is worth another look. Now, Tim, at, on the food morality question, you'd think that apple pie, there's nothing more harmless than an apple pie, would you? No, they're great. They're a symbol of uh, American freedom, of course. But you're wrong. Raj Patel writes in The Guardian, 
Of course. That this comforting pastry is a moral atrocity. The recipe is... <laughs> the recipe is a variant on an English pumpkin pie recipe and therefore rendering oh. it uh, appropriative and sullied by the legacy of British colonialism. It's a symbol of, quote, domesticity harking back to America's maltreatment of women with every tasty bite. It's a ruthless emblem of capitalist exploitation. Sugarcane is a byproduct of the exploration of black Caribbean labourers, and apples owe their origins to the Spanish colonialists who bought this Central Asian fruit to North America in their quest to pilfer the continent's bounty. Every morsel is a sinful reminder of your place on the wrong side of the struggle for food justice. Well, that's it. I won't be having apple pie tonight, but about you? Oh, I'll have a double dose. But just a theory. Do memos go out from Guardian editors every week to their various opinion writers saying, OK, your subjects are A, B, C, whatever, which, whichever topics, and you've got to find how they're racist and evil. So you're just sitting there waiting to get your assignment, and it might be, you know, steak. Ah, oh, steak's evil. Okay, I'll go to town and come up mm. with ways to ways to demonise steak. This poor bastard copped apple pie, and he'd be, oh, how do I? How am I going to do that? That's the hardest one yet. You know, I thought copy a paper last week was difficult, but apple pie. Okay, right. That's why I'm paid the big dollars. I'll you know, get down to it. And then he submits twelve hundred words about why apple pie is satanic and wrong. It's got to be something like that because this can't be serious. These aren't serious human beings. They're either being given assignments by incredibly malicious and and prankish editors, or they're actually having a go themselves and just making fun out of the, their own culture, their own guardian, you know, anti-colonialism thing. It's yeah. I don't know. Maybe it, it is. Maybe they're laughing at us. Maybe they're saying, "Ha ha! We tricked them. We we got those righties going off with our fake <laughs> piece of apple pie." Well, let's let's come up with just a list of future assignments. They'll, they'll be tuning in. They they love Australians. Well, I can start with your chicken wings. They are evil. <laughs> and also, I've appropriated them from slaves. Yeah, I think they were a, a, an early favourite of. Uh, of uh, the slave community in the US. Mm, so yeah. they'd, they'd get me easily on, on the chicken wings. But just look around the room. You've got... Um, uh, what's racist about glass? There must be some racial component to that. Mm. Or um, clothes hangers. Well, there's a hanging component. It's, you're basically yes. endorsing lynching. There'd have to be a <laughs> number of things. Fiddly figs. Fiddly figs would have to be... I mean, the word fiddle... Like maybe there's some sort of connotation, you know, Nero or something, or mm. or a, a southern sort of musical thing that appropriating black music. So fiddle leaf figs would be there. They can they can just work their wonders. They they might have how to guides, how to generate mm. outrage on any damn thing at all. But when you're going mm. for apple pie and you're actually pulling it off, you know, hats off to the guy. That's that's a quite an effort. What haven't we covered, Tim? It's been a busy week, and of course I've forgotten half it. Earthing parents. Oh, yes, this is good news. Good old Billy Shorten. Tell us about it. You don't want to mess with some people, you know. You don't want to, you don't want to clash with someone or take an, an opposing sort of stance against certain people who, um, whose level of expertise is far beyond your own and who mm. are invested in an issue. And that's what happened last week. A Gold Coast businesswoman named Sal Grover 
very clever person. She went into hospital to give birth to her daughter. Now, Sal is, she's probably on the left politically, but she's very alert and informed on all this woke nonsense as regards language. She doesn't like phrases like birthing person and she doesn't like, you know, menstruating person or person with a womb or whatever other ways they use, other words they use to marginalise or actually erase women. Mm. So she goes into a hospital, has her child, and in these handed the services Australia forms that you have to fill out once you've, once you've given birth. Mm. And instead of listing you know where she had to put her name as the uh, the mother of the child the words were birthing person now it turns mm. out there were only three hospitals in australia that were doing this trial program using you know non-gendered language and sal grover happened to go to one <laughs> so she didn't like it as you'd expect her mother was there as well so they're both furious sal crossed out birthing person and wrote in, just changed the document herself, changed it to, to mother, and then mentioned it on online. And then the Telegraph picked up the story, mm. pointing out how stupid this was and interviewing Sal. The next morning, Bill Shorten has said, right, this ends now. This madness stops. He put his foot down, did Bill, and he declared that that document is toast. It's not going to be there again. We're replacing it with the word mother. It's hilarious, by the way, to read all the responses on Twitter to um, to Shorten's announcement. He's lost the left. They're livid with him. They're all like, you know, you are the worst person. But I imagine Shorten would be reading those and just thinking, nailed it. You know, if, yeah. I've, if I've put those guys offside, we're at least a two-term government, probably three. So way to go, lefties. You've, you've made bills weak. Well, it's, I, look, it's a very sensible policy by them and... Um you know, because we, we were worried, weren't we? we weren't, let's not pretend we weren't worried when they came to office because you've got the example of Jacinda Ardern just across a yes. ditch. The wokest country on earth, I think. And the brokest. Probably beaten by California, which is woke and going broke. The Democrats in the United States have sort of become totally woke. So it was sort of, would, would they hold? Well, they've held so far, I think. Do you think this is going to last? Uh, mm. Will the pull of woke, will the threads of woke be pulling at them? And I expected that they'd be slightly less competent than the outgoing government and a lot more woke. Well, I've been proved wrong in the second count. So fingers mm. crossed. Uh, let's see if the spirit of Shorten can go through the rest of the party. Remember that uh, you've still got Tanya Plibersek there giving her environmental speeches based on Aboriginal Dreamtime stories mm. at the mm. press council this week. There are different strands within Labor, some woke, some obviously less so. So, fingers crossed, let's see. For the good of the country. More good news. We are we are mm. episode 43 of The Swirl, and we've got our own Facebook page at last. It's only taken 43 episodes to get there, so I think the <laughs> idea is we'll be pasting, posting little extracts of this. We've got some reviews, too. Here, here okay. got, well, I've got three five-star reviews in my hand here. Mm. Noodles. Well, of course you have. You wrote them. I'm not noodles. <laughs> well, <I> know... <laughs> anyway, somebody under the name of Noodles eight eight zero says, "Excellent, love to hear an irreverent take on news from actual newsmen." That's us. You sure? Plus great guests. Turtle 
of WA writes, Brilliant, the finest centre-right podcast in Australia. Hear, hear to that. Thanks, Turtle. Boamond of Tripoli writes, Highly recommended, The Antidote to the Project. It is actually amusing. <laughs> and Media Watch, without its smugness. I love that. Oh, we've got to crank up the smugness then. They can't see your face. Yeah, but like Paul Barry's level of smug, it comes through even if he's not speaking. That's true. Or, or visible. You, know, you, can, you can feel it now if you just... Count your head towards whatever suburb he lives in. He lives in the eastern <laughs> suburbs of Sydney. Count your head towards the east and you'll pick up heavy vibes of smug. I tell you what. I used to live quite nearby him and uh, we had to get special insulation put in. Well, Laura, our producer, says her plans is to put little video extracts from this on Facebook. Oh, really? Which I'm afraid means, means we can no longer do it in the nude, Tim. Man, that was half the fun of the show. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps we, could, perhaps we could do a sort of private XXX version. When you when you go to nude beaches, do you have to wear a mask? Like that, would, <laughs> that would seem kind of stupid, wouldn't it? I think some investigation <laughs> called for. <laughs> We've got to get a guest on because it always gets we always drift it further down the road of silliness when we're on our own team. But look, I, I think <laughs> we maybe had a temp Fred Paul back. He was a regular on the show, do you remember? At one stage, yes, that's right. He's been he's been busy though. He's got a secret project. Well, I, I like to think the swill was the making of him. He's now going to be a television star of sorts. I think something so, like that. Yeah. Uh, Rita said she would when she gets a second. So all our old friends, and we'll bring in more. I'm sure. Uh, I think we should get Brendan O'Neill back. He's always good value. Yes, absolutely. Plenty to come. We can we can get him back when we've got the compulsory masks again, and Britain hasn't. Just to just to turn things around. That would be that would be interesting. We can gaze upon the UK with envy for once. <laughs> good stuff. All right, Tim, thanks. All good, mate. Don't forget, you can go to our Facebook page and you can email us at... Uh, I can't remember what the email address is, but go to the <laughs> Facebook page first. I'm sure you'll find it. Thanks, Tim. Good evening, mate. Next week. Every American and LBJ is with Australia all the way. Australia is the best place in the world to bring up a family. But we will decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they come. How good is Australia?